Left. Right. All right, you made it. This is Sip Talk today. We're talking about casinos, we're talking about evictions, and we have to be revisiting some bad first date tweets. Those seem to go over pretty well. I enjoy them. I know you guys enjoy them. So uh, listen on. Let me know what you think about casinos and evictions. Evictions seem a bit controversial. So please share your opinion on those. And uh, see you guys on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 169. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell, professional referee, professional bartender, philosopher, and most exciting of all, accountant. James, nice to have you here. Yeah. How's We're in you? full burn mode with accounting right now. Oh, I can only imagine. It must be, uh, must be fun times. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's eating up a lot of my spare time outside of my main job with the mortgages. So the accounting goes pretty heavy for the next month and a half, right? Yeah, yeah. Really, like, I'd say the next two months because, well, I'm no longer in the office. I'm no longer full-time, so a lot of these things don't apply to me anymore. But, yeah, we would burn hard until April 15th, and then uh, the partners would close the office at noon on April 15th and we would have some beers and some pizza in the office and just kind of celebrate taxis and being behind us and then a lot of the partners would sometimes take like a two or three day vacation after that so we'd have a, a very brief respite from it and then it would there's still a ton of work to do after tax season because sure. one you've put off a whole bunch of work and two, there's still a whole bunch of tax returns that are now on extension that people want done. So it's not like by like April 18th or 19th, you're just like, all right, cool, easy rest of the year. Um, you still got probably another two or three more months of medium workload. It's just your hours are going to go back to uh, a more normal like 40-hour week. You know, when I say accounting, the, you know, the most exciting of all accounting, I'm being sarcastic, right? Uh, yeah, it's not... <laughs> It's not a career that most people get into for the rush. So, so let me pivot a little bit here. Outside of the accounting world, uh, I'm excited for you, though. You know, I imagine you must be busy. That's, it's good to be busy sometimes. But today we're going to talk about evictions. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of talk right now on social media about evictions. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about casinos. I was at the casino over the weekend, so I think that it'd be cool to share my experience. I'm not much of a casino guy, so I was as observant as I, as I could be. And uh, I got some good, uh, well, some bad first date tweets I thought I'd share because they seem to have gone over pretty well, and uh, I enjoyed sharing them with you. So I want you to start with the first date tweets. I can't do that. we we gotta, we got to hold off on that. i got to get into the meat and potatoes here. That's dessert, man. Okay. <laughs> so um, I want to talk to you about casinos first. Are you, you spent any time in casinos? Very little. Mm. Um, I actually haven't been to a casino in the United States. I've been to casinos in Spain. Okay. Well, I don't know what they're like out of this country. Um, I have... I would imagine it's probably very similar. Yeah. So I've been to one in upstate New York, the Saratoga Casino, which is like a lot of slot machines. But I only really... That's not a real casino, though. Exactly. I only really walked through, and it didn't seem quite so vast. The casinos that I went to in Atlantic City... While I imagine they are not as intense and as abundant as Las Vegas, it was a bit of a different world inside the casino. Well, at least Atlantic, uh, Atlantic City casinos are actual casinos. You've got chips, you've got table games. It's not just like video poker and slots like in, in Saratoga. Um, no, it was a it was a legitimate casino, and it was a couple hour drive from from the city, so it felt like an actual bit of a destination, which I think kind of amped up the fact that you're kind of going to a real casino. I want to say hi to the guys on Instagram, TikTok, 
Uh, I see some on either Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, or Twitter. So if you guys are watching us there, don't forget to subscribe. We appreciate the interaction with the podcast as well. So if you guys have questions about casinos, feel free to ask. So look, right off the bat, I walked into the casino and I saw, a, I, I could smell a little, didn't smell dirty or bad, but I could smell that just, and it was just such a faint enough smell that I, I wasn't even sure what it was at first. Uh, and then I saw a sign that said smoking area. And the casino has a designated smoking area, which it became pretty clear throughout the remainder of my time seemed to be pretty much everywhere in that well, casino. Well, I've always thought that anti-smoking ads come off as a little preachy and exaggerating, but there's one line from an anti-smoking ad that I think actually is on point, which is, a no smoking section in a restaurant is like a no peeing section in a pool. <laughs> well, if the ventilation's good enough, for the most part, you know, it, it'll pull the smoke out. If the filtration's good enough. Yeah, but but look, uh, still swimming in pee. <laughs> well, uh, you know, smoke tends to rise, and the and if you get the currents going upwards and out of the building, then it's not quite like the pool, but it's. It, it's similar, but again, you know, it's very faint secondhand smoke. But the thing that I, I noticed was like it transported me back to going places in the 90s where people would just sit with a cigarette and for lack of a better description, just kind of chain smoke and, and sit and relax. And well, I think just going to Atlantic City is like going back to the 90s. <laughs> like, <laughs> just think about how, how smoking is banned inside pretty much everywhere right now. And I was thinking about it recently that the way that we portray smoking is is it's like you're just a, a it's not the smoking weed is 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 now like okay and almost encouraged but but if you're smoking in public people are it's almost like shame on you whereas if you're smoking weed people are like oh good times have fun man but if you're smoking a cigarette they're just like oh smoking you know. it, yo it really depends on where you are well, um i'm in new york city so I, you know i see people like just it, it's you know even unpopular to be outside smoking a cigarette outside of a restaurant for a while that was like a hangout area so yeah. I, I don't see a lot anymore um but look so so the smoking thing and yeah you know, i realize that's because they want people comfortable and then if you think about your the demographic of the people that gamble smoking kind of goes hand in hand with that so yeah, yeah. they also serve alcohol there well, I, and I'll, I'll get there. Actually, that's the, that's the next thing I got. So, obviously, they serve alcohol. It's an establishment. Lots of places have bars. Um, but they were fr free drinks. And the, and the free drinks were mostly on the skill games. Uh, or I think you could get to a level where if you played long enough, somebody would approach you. And, and offer you a drink. But I do know that I was playing some electronic blackjack and I asked the woman at the bar for a drink and she said, oh, honey, I'm sorry, I can't serve you. Uh, you know, I, I, would, I would get in trouble. But just so you know, if you play long enough, uh, we get a notification on the back of the bar, with a little blue light that goes on, and, and then we're inclined to ask if you'd like a drink. And then those are on the house. Yeah, that seems like an unnecessarily complicated system well just think if you're if you if you work there you're a waiter or waitress you just walk around when you see a blue light you ask somebody if they want to drink and she also said by the way tipping is encouraged so i'm like all right i get it like you get your money and and as long as somebody's sitting here long enough uh they're getting drinks yeah and from the casino's perspective like the more drinks you pump into a gambler the better you're doing it, 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 very, very clearly uh, evident further on in the night for me. Um, and then uh, the uh, the slot machines. So there were some slot machines where you could still pull a lever, but most of them, the lever was just an electronic button anyways. You're pulling the lever and it's just pushing some, mm -hmm. you know, it's like shifting in a modern car. You know, there's, there's not much happening that's, uh, that's analog, really. And... Uh, they were confusing as fuck. There were these big screens, big curved. A lot of them were touch screens. And I had a really difficult time even trying to figure out when I won 
what it was that I was doing that had had garnered the win. Well, there's no real strategy to slots. Well, and that's and that's why I, you know, I set, you know, there was at one point after we had packed up and I was waiting, you know, to uh, to leave, I'd sat down at a slot machine because that's where the chairs were, and I put in five bucks and just pushed some buttons until the five bucks went away. So, uh, but but I, I realized that slot machines were probably not a a good approach to trying to win money just because it, there's no skill. Um, but they also give you a card. It's called a player's card, and you can gain players' points by playing enough uh, hands or enough games in a row. And if you move to another machine and you and you take that player's card out, it resets to zero. So they they encourage you to play consecutive games to get points, and then those points just reset once you once you leave. So some pretty cool psychology when it comes to like making you feel special. Yeah, when it comes to business practice refinement, casinos are at about the apex. Well, well, yeah, I mean with the with the free drinks, the the machines also were were confusing with how you were betting. So you could play a 50 cent game, but you would bet and you would basically like bet in in multiples of two or five or whatever yeah you can bet different lines on the slot machine so it might be a a one dollar bet but if you bet like nine lines or something now it's a nine dollar bet yeah and and and, but it's also very confusing to figure out what what exactly you're doing so um i also noticed on the slot machines especially that when you win there's a big notification like uh you know it'll say winner winner Mm -hmm. bells will ding um, and, and they, they really, it's kind of like feel good, like, you know, uh, it's a word like dopamine, uh, you know, it's, it, you know, good job, but, uh, and even on small wins. So even, mm-hmm. if, even if you win, a, you know, a uh, 20 cents, but what I also found was that if you bet $5, okay. So you're in for five bucks and then you win $3, you actually lost $2, but the machine would still say in big, big letters, win, win, win. So I thought that was very deceptive. And then, of course, when you lose, there is no you lose that pops up on the screen. It just starts the next game. So they're literally not delivering any negative. They're not, like, prompting your emotions for any negativity. No, they want to make it as quick as possible for you to get back in and play the next one. But when you win, they want you to slow down a little bit so that you experience the win. And But like with the loss, they don't want to give you time to dwell on it. They want you to say, I lost. All right, cool. Press the button next round. Yeah, but yeah, and it's almost, there were times that I lost that I didn't even realize. I was like, oh, is it time for my bet now? When I, especially when I was playing the electronic blackjack. And I was like, oh, no, it actually, it's a new game already. Or, you know, I, you know, I lost. I'm on the whatever screen. So... And I didn't play much because I'm not I'm not really big in gambling because I know I don't have that skill, and uh, you know I'm also way too ADD to like really get into it and and start paying attention. There's a lot going on around me. I couldn't I couldn't really focus, um, but I did play a little blackjack uh, in that area where I first met. You know, we first got there and met the lady who told me how the free drinks thing worked. So I wanted to see if I could score some some free drinks, and I actually played maybe like. 40 minutes to an hour um i sunk in total maybe 10 to 15 bucks so not That's like a not bad and i got two free drinks so the way that so, i looked at it is i could have sat at a bar for an hour and spent 10 12 15 bucks on drinks and and just not had any you know stimulation like that yeah, so, so you broke even as far as i'm concerned i got you know i got a couple of drinks and sat there for an hour um, um but, rosh is asking if you uh, saw anybody wearing a tuxedo there so when I heard we were going to the casino, I said, okay, uh, grab my suit. And then I was told, no, no, you have to wear cool clothes. You can't wear a suit. I was like, well, what do you, what do you mean cool clothes? Um, I thought the suit would blend in. We're going to the casino. Now, I'm thinking 1980s Rain Man when Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman buy some suits. Dustin Hoffman's, uh, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, not on the spectrum. He's autistic. It's on the spectrum. But uh, and he, he can count cards, so they go to the casino, they're playing some black blackjack or poker or something, 
and he's uh, he's kind of the cards are winning big. They got some suits made to go out to Las Vegas. Nobody was dressed like that. And well, in Vegas, you're going to find um, casinos where people are dressed like that. You're in Atlantic City. Well, that that could have been that could have been the difference. Um, and I will also say that the age, the demographics were definitely aged pretty far north. A lot of old people there, which I thought was strange, but I guess, you know, you can take more risk when it comes to financial situations. You don't have to live as long, I guess. And um, also, what else are you doing today? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, if you're playing, like, you you have whatever amount of money you're going to go in and, and you're not going to dip any deeper than that, that's fine. Like, And I think that's probably the only way to play. Um, but I can tell you, like losing money, I'm like, oh, yeah, I want to win this back. I, I got a little of that playing some some blackjack. Um, it's really easy to fall into that trap. It, and it, but it is just because of the way the psychology works. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I noticed was uh, there was a lot of very, very heavy people there. And I couldn't figure <laughs> out if, well, it's noticeable because I come from New York City where everybody walks around. And you don't see like really obese people, but and because how else are they getting around? They're not going up and down the stairs and, and out and out and about and you know fifth floor walk up and coming in and out and walking to work. Whereas you know I walk at like nine miles an hour everywhere I'm going. So uh, I wasn't sure if it was just a cross section of America that like New York City wasn't a part of, or it was somehow related to the type of establishment. But we're talking heavy, heavy people, a lot of which were using canes or they were on little Mario Kart things. Well, you're also getting a lot of people that aren't from Atlantic City or New York City going to Atlantic City for the weekend. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, but I don't know if it was it was just a cross-section of the, of, of the general population that happens to be traveling or it happens to be the population that gets gets lured in by casinos probably much more the latter i i would think so but i just thought it was very strange the you know there were times where you know we were in an elevator that could fit eight people and there was three people on there and i'm going wow i guess you know i'll let you guys ride up i'll catch the next one type of thing yeah which it's just an observation that's you know anybody can feel any way they want about it i just happen to notice it um and then uh the night that, that I was there, you know, I like to just sit at the bar and kind of people watch and, and sit around. So I go up to the bar. I ordered a, a glass of Lagavulin, which is, I don't know, a $90 bottle, $80, $100 bottle. So you're probably uh, looking at like 15 to 20 bucks for a glass? Roughly, maybe. But usually when you get, so the, you can see the glass I'm holding up now. It's about a third of the way full. That is a very heavy pour. Yeah, you, that's going to be like a a one and a half to two and a half pour you would use uh, like the, one and a half to two and a half times the standard pour so i i like to put my finger at the bottom of the glass and usually that's the level that the drink is poured to obviously the the diameter of the glass matters but uh the drink that i got was halfway full in the rocks glass and i just thought to myself at the time Oh, this bartender doesn't have any idea what he's doing. He's, was it he's, served neat? It was served neat, yeah, so there were no rocks. And I thought to myself, oh, he has no idea the value of the scotch, uh, and he's probably not a very experienced bartender. Didn't think anything of it. I came back later, uh, almost as like a nightcap, and uh, had gone out, like played a little cards and uh, smoked a cigar, came back to have a little nightcap. And uh, he poured me the same glass. And, and uh, I just, I thought, I remember thinking again, damn, that's, you know, that's like in New York City, this glass would have cost me 60 bucks, right? It would have been like, like a triple or yeah. pour. Yeah, halfway full in the glass is going to be at least a triple pour. So, so then, uh, you know, I talked to our friend Eric, who's a big fan of casinos, as we both know. And uh, he's saying, and I was just saying, the, oh, yeah, they gave me, they gave me some free drinks. And he goes, yeah, and if you order a cocktail, they give you really, really heavy pours. And I, and then it clicked for me that that was something that may have been a bit intentional, that the pour was so heavy. 
Now, I don't know, you know. No, it totally was. Um, I can tell you that, one, if you're a bartender at a casino, you're going to have experience. Like, you're you're not going to find bartenders that don't know what they're doing at a casino. You just aren't. It's too high volume and it's too demanding of a job for someone who doesn't know what they're doing to last or even to get hired in the first place. And two, casinos control everything meticulously. Every every aspect of a casino is planned. So if their bartenders are giving out a four and a half or five ounce standard pour <laughs> instead of the normal one and a half, yeah, that's designed. Well, I mean, and, and I can guarantee you. Well, in thinking back after our friend Eric told me, yeah, they're known for giving heavy pours. I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Along with the consistency that I had two drinks several hours apart and it was about the same pour. I've never ordered a glass of scotch that was that heavy of a pour ever, minus one time I was in Lake George and I went to a bar and ordered a glass of Dewar's and they filled it to just about the ridge, the the, the top ridge on a solo cup. And so I was like- ice- so if you get a 16-ounce solo cup, and let's assume that you've got it filled to the top with ice, then you're probably looking at about a 6 to 7-ounce pour. This was, this was no ice. It was, it was all neat, and it was like more than half the bottle. And I drank one, and then I, I think I ended up trying to go back for another, and uh, I, I don't remember the rest of the night. So, yeah, you wouldn't. You, you, like, each one, like a solo cup full of scotch is going to be oh boy i don't know what the milliliters are because a bottle of scotch is 750. yeah so i gotta figure out how many milliliters is 16 ounces um it's probably like 450. but yeah and and i just thought that this was obviously somebody who didn't know anything about drinks and i assume in lake george you know maybe they didn't and uh i was just 16 ounces is more than half a bottle of scotch. Yeah, and that's I remember looking at the bottle and thinking, like, the bottle's almost gone now. Is this for real? Um, And I hadn't, like, there was no, like, flirtation involved or anything like that. I just don't know why you would serve somebody that much. Um, (laughs) Which reminds me of a funny story. So I used to, uh, you know, I worked at this gym in Albany, and I, uh, there's a bunch of bars near this gym. It was a Latham Circle, so that was a popular area at once. So there was a lot of like shopping malls, some strip malls and some, you know, like sports bars around. So there was this one sports bar I used to go to and uh, a couple of people from the gym used to go there. What was the name of the bar? I, oh God. Uh, it was almost like a, a head pony in the name or something. It was in the direction of Sienna from the Latham Circle. But uh, I can't, I can't remember the name. Um, it was on the right-hand side. I could, I could find it on a map if I needed to. But look, so they, uh, I ordered a Jack and Diet Coke, and I was pretty drunk by the time I got there. And what happened was the bartender, I would take a couple of sinks, sips from the drink and throw the drink back in the bar. And it originally was mostly uh, Diet Coke and some Jack Daniels. And every time I took a few sips, put it back in the bar, I was talking to people the bartender would top it back off with Jack Daniels. And uh, that night I got very drunk and I stole a, a high top table and chairs. <laughs> and, uh, and then uh, when, this, when the bartender came to the gym, which uh, I remember the gym, when they were working out, while they were working out, I set the table up with the chairs and the forks and knives on the table behind their car. So that was there when they when they came out for the from the gym. Um, so I'll figure out the name of the bar. This was obviously like 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so what what games did you play at the casino? You did like video poker, video slots. You did video blackjack. Did you play any actual table games? I didn't, but we did have. Uh, I watched some for a while. But um, I wasn't about to, you know, I wasn't about to play like penny tables or, you know, like for pennies. I wanted to play some real money. And I was trying really hard to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To like really come up with like a, a, a technique and skill and, and rather than just it being like pure chance. But there, yeah. the, there is n- the only way that you can reliably win 
is if you are extremely good at counting cards and playing blackjack, and there are systems that you can learn, but you've got to be able to do them quickly, accurately, and without getting caught. Um, yeah, and my blackjack technique was mostly take a hit if it's under 18, and and that was that was about that. <laughs> so. um, yeah, because like, I, I tried to learn how to count cards, and I said quickly, accurately, and without getting caught. I can do, of those three things, one at a time. I can do it quickly, but it won't be accurate, and I'll get caught. I can do it accurately, but it won't be quick, and I'll get caught. So uh, the bar was called Jessica Stones. Jessica oh. Stones in Latham. I didn't know if you'd know it. Um, no, never been there. So, yeah, but we had, a, we had a friend that actually played some craps and was winning big, big, big time. And then after I had turned in, I, I understand he went back and played some more and, and lost all of his games and then some. So, but... Yep. That's what happens when that's what happens when you're drinking, and I know that that was the, uh, you know that that was the tactic of the casino, and they yeah. ultimately they ultimately won. All right, let's get to this evictions thing since that's the main topic. That is well, and, now, and now. since and so you just went to the casino, and you lost all your money. <laughs> so let's talk about evictions. Well, I think the topic with evictions is it's so fucking polarized. And you can't, you can have disdain for your landlord because they have more than you, because they own the property, because they don't need that property to, to live in, right? They have, the, they have a different place. But people not paying their rent, and given their, you know, we're, we're going to call coronavirus time some extenuating circumstances. And uh, and we'll, we'll say hi to Lisa. Actually, we just uh, Rosh just told the, told us Lisa was here. I want to say hi to to Lisa and to the TikTok crew. See you well, guys. TikTok. hold on before before we go into detail about this, let's just ask some questions to the people so that they can comment on this, um, like about evictions and, and say like like the first question I would ask is um, when it comes to evictions, is it the landlord's fault or the tenant's fault? And two, like. Do you think that there should be a moratorium on evictions at like starting today? Do you think that there should still be a moratorium on it on evictions? And if so, if so or not, why? Yeah, fair enough. But the question as to whether or not there should be evictions, I think, is a silly one because I I don't think at any it makes any sense to ban evictions because then there's just you don't need to pay rent. Right when you when you ban evictions, there's there's no implication for not paying rent. You agree with me there? To to an extent. Okay, so why would you pay rent if you, if you don't pay rent, you're not going to get kicked out? Well, like I still I I moved out of my apartment in 2021, so I lived in my apartment through the first 18 months or so of coronavirus. And during that time, there was a moratorium on evictions. I think. I don't really know. I still paid my rent. But you were also still working, right? Yes. And you didn't lose a job because of coronavirus. Yes. So, but my, my question is, if you stopped paying rent for whatever reason, should you be kicked out? Now, my question for people who say that no, you shouldn't be kicked out, would be what responsibility does the landlord have to you? And if you're not going to pay rent, why is it fair that the landlord bears the burden of having to pay full property taxes and pay your utilities? And then God forbid you utilities are in your name, heating hot water, and you don't pay those utilities and they get shut off. And that a landlord has to keep them on, so that one, it would, you know, it could be considered constructive eviction if he didn't pay it. And then two, if you didn't have heat and hot water, your pipes would freeze and do further damage to the house. So the landlord has all these costs, even though you're not paying rent. Well, and, and there's also various duties on the landlord's part to repair repair certain things in the house. So even if you're not paying rent. If there's things like mold or an appliance breaks or, or like things that are 
provided by the landlord per the lease, then the landlord still has to pay the money to fix those things, even if you're not paying rent. Yeah, and just general upkeep. So mm -hmm. uh, mowing the lawn, caring for the sidewalks, shoveling snow. Uh, yeah, if the roof is leaking, I'm working with a landlord right now. She's had somebody in there who actually faked the lease and moved in uh, by telling the downstairs tenant that they had just signed the lease and went inside and locked their key inside because he let them through the back. And the downstairs tenant did. And they took occupancy. And they had a voucher. So the voucher started paying rent, even though they had faked the landlord's signature on the voucher lease. Uh, really messed up. And they'd been in there since before coronavirus. And then they haven't been able to be evicted throughout coronavirus. So... Uh, and the, and it's, this, the landlord isn't rich, doesn't own a lot of property. This is a two-family home. Um, she's her co-op that she lives in, and then this two-family home. And the two-family home is costing her so much money. The tenants are inside, intentionally damaging the place. Uh, really bad news, and she can't get them out. So I think, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that landlords, most landlords don't want to evict tenants. So there are, there are some landlords that are buying buildings with rent control apartments in them or under, under market value rent apartments, and they want those tenants out so that they can renovate the apartments, move new people in at a much higher rate. So, you know, I, I, get, I get having some defense over not wanting that to happen. Several years ago, I didn't because my thought on renting was, well, you're borrowing this property. It's not owning it. And there's a clear line between renting and owning physical real property. That, you know, the owner technically owns it. So if they wanted to move in there themselves, they could. If they decided that, you know, they didn't like you anymore, when your lease was up, they would, they would move you out. They wouldn't evict you if they didn't decide they, they wanted you anymore. They'd wait for your lease agreement to be up because it's a contract that goes both ways. They agreed to let you live there for a year or two. And after that, there's no reason it needs to renew. Now, I have shifted my opinion on that a little bit because obviously it's tough to uproot people from their lives when they're living somewhere. But I, I still do have some, you know, a little bit of my opinion still rooted in that, that it's not your property, right? Um, so... Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go. Go from there. How do I? How do I pivot out of that? Um, the thing, yeah, you, you have to balance some things here because you don't want to make it too easy for landlords to just kick people out because then you make renting a exercise and in instability for all renters. Where you, if you don't give enough notice and you don't give people enough time, then it means that you're never going to be able to establish yourself. And like, I rented the same apartment for 13 years and like, it would, it would have been really annoying if like every single year I had to worry about whether or not I was, I was going to be able to renew my lease. I, 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 and I agree with you there, but that's also what the eviction courts are for. What if the, I mean, what if the landlord just said to you one year, Hey, you know, we actually, we need to rehab this building. Uh, because it has structural issues, and you got to move. That, and and your lease. I don't know when your lease is up. I think that would be fair. You signed. Yeah, in, you didn't I, purchase I can it. tell you no. that I wouldn't have been happy. No, but 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 again, you rented this, so you have. What's your ownership stake in? I would say that if they were to do something like that, then I would need. A, like a really good lead time probably at least three months I, I think that's i think that's fair most leases at least in new york if they are longer than a year they have to give you 60 60 days notice if they're if they're two years or longer they have to give you 90 days notice so that's just written into the law but being asked to leave once your agreement is up to me that sounds fair although in most cases that's that you're not allowed to do that. If somebody's lease is expiring, it must be auto renewed. So yeah, and that's the think, law. Yeah, that's in South Carolina, it doesn't exist because um, I've got a client recently bought a home, and the the property that he bought 
was being rented out um, by the previous owner. So when he bought the property, the, the previous owner was like, hey, there's still like three or four months left on this lease. And so as soon as he took ownership, he's like, I, I have to honor the lease, so I will. But he, he told the, like, when he took ownership of the property, he told the renters, he says, hey, I'm going to be living in this house now. So, like, your lease is still good, but you're going to need to find someplace else to live after this because I will be living here. Yeah. And, but you but he gave them time. Yeah, you can't do that in, in New York for the most part. Now, I know there's some rent control, rent stabilization laws. If the building is stabilized, that gets a, a little sketchier there. But, um, but just generally, I think, if, you know, unless you're on a rent stabilized apartment, which the renewal is, is pretty much guaranteed, uh, the landlord can't ask you to leave. So why is a landlord going to evict someone? Well, primarily non-payment of rent. And the other would be damage to the building. Okay, damage to the building. I think those two things are going to take account of like 95 to 99% of like evictions. Well, what about other tenants are complaining about this tenant? Because maybe there's domestic disputes. Uh, police have been called. Maybe they have a loud animal. Um, I would imagine that would be a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, and now uh, if you have a felony... Uh, landlords can't discriminate against you. The only reason a landlord can is if you are a sex offender. So if you're a murderer or, um, you know, I don't know, a, a serial, uh, you know, grand theft auto or, uh, you know, they can't. I actually support that. Like if you, the, having laws that prevent felons from doing normal things to me seems really unfair because if you're a felon and you went to prison and you served your time, that was the punishment. So you're I, out of prison. So you've paid your debt to society. But it's, it's over. It's done with. You get to start your life again. But sure, but that couple and 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 you know that a lot of these people return to the system. So repeat offense is is common. But I agree with you that once your time is served, it's it's served. Um, but you know, if there are complaints against you and you can't be evicted. I don't, I don't think that seems fair, especially if you're pissing off the other well-paying good tenants. And now, Yeah, well, the problem is that with like damage to the building or non-payment of rent, those are empirical. You can show that they, you haven't received payments from them, or you can show pictures of, here's the window that was smashed by them. Whereas any kind of disruption or noise complaints or whatever, unless you have police reports then it's really just a he said, she said, and it's going to be a lot harder to verify and substantiate your claim for why you want to evict this person. So that's why I say it, it's a lot. I, I think that you need to have more strict rules when it comes to evictions of that nature because you, can also, you need to protect tenants from landlords making things up you do. With the and goal of evicting. Because if you've got damage, here's the picture. If you're not paying rent, here's my bank statements. You haven't paid. Sure, but here's here's the other issue is, is that that's also for the court to decide. So landlords typically don't want to spend time in court if they're not going to, to succeed with an eviction. So landlords are only motivated, typically only motivated to evict you if it's if it's something pretty bad. And then it's also on the court to decide. But I want to share with you the story. I'm going to read a little bit of it, of it on air because anybody who's listening may not be familiar with the story. And these are some crucial Is this facts. the article that you sent to us earlier today? Yes. This is from the, the New York Daily News. Title of the article is Evicted to Death. New York City Woman Found Dead, Homeless in Subway. And this is, so the title of the article is Evicted to Death. Subtitle, New York City Woman Found Dead, Homeless in Subway, Lost Her Home Four Years Ago. So in title alone, I looked at that title and I said, well, she was, a, she, she, it's not like she was evicted and then, you know, next, the following week she died from being out in the cold or dying from starvation. Four years went by. So then I was a little skeptical and I started reading the article. She used to live in Queens uh, and then she died homeless and alone in a Long Island City subway station. Uh, she was covered in bed bugs and surrounded by bags. Uh, now this woman was an amateur painter. She hoarded cats 
and ran her own travel agency in Long Island until the business shuttered. Now, I think they're trying to paint like a nice picture of her, but then throwing in the she hoarded cats was a bit of a red flag for me. It, it was weird. The, the whole article was written in a weird way. Yeah, but it's, it's like, oh, you know, John Sullivan died, you know. And also, I would recommend when you post this on YouTube, um, put a link to that article in the descriptions yeah, that people can see it. I will. But, you know, like when you hear, you know, like, oh, Sullivan died of old age. He was 84 years old. John was survived by his family. He used to like sailing and, and collecting, uh, you know, boats in bottles or something. But this is, this is a woman who ran an amateur painter, hoarded cats, and then ran a travel agency until it shut, until it, the visit she went yeah. out of it. Hoarded cats is just an interesting choice of language. It, I, I agree. So, but it was another red flag. So uh, she was in rough shape and she was evicted in 2018. Uh, she's one of six people that was found dead uh, over the last year in the, in the subway. Uh, let's see. Her brother said the police called her, called him, and he couldn't believe it, but he guesses it was a matter of time. Now, that sounds pretty cold. Um, let's see. Uh, so she, in 2013, she moved into her father's home, the same home she grew up in. And uh, let's see her. Uh, and then he died and she took over the lease. So, no, no, no. But two years later, after she moved in, he decided to spend, he, he moved to Florida. Oh, yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, she didn't move out, but she also didn't pay the rent. So uh, the landlord had to seek to evict her, and that process took three years. Meanwhile, uh, she's not paying rent during those three years. Uh, so she pleaded in court saying that her wallet was stolen three weeks ago, and they took her driver's license. So I don't Again, the, the, the article misses a lot of things because... So she, she said she had no money and she didn't have a place to live. Uh, she packed a few of her belongings, a bunch of cats in a U-Haul, put them in a storage facility, and uh, uh, let's see. She, and then she lived off some government assistance and occasionally worked as a food deliverer, according to her family. Uh, but it wasn't enough to get a roof over her head. She couldn't stay with her brother, Stephen, a financial director who owns his apartment on the Upper East Side. Earlier that year, he got a protective order against her because she was harassing him and his family. Uh, right before she got evicted, I tried to get her the help she needed, said the brother. I said she needed a plan and she needed the city to help her uh, and some of the religious centers to, to offer help, but she refused. Two months later, she was evicted uh, and then Apparently, she showed up in his building crying. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, some a quote from the Homeless Co Coalition. People's lives can unravel quickly when they don't have affordable housing. Uh, it's unclear whether or not she ever stayed in a homeless shelter. Uh, the last time she made contact with her brother, she showed up in the lobby, demanded she see him. He called the police, uh, saying that he was a threat to uh, him. Uh, oh, no, saying that she did not pose if the police said that she didn't pose a threat to herself or other people um it's a see. pretty high bar there for the police to intervene like that like yeah. to be to, like to be considered a threat to yourself or others for the police to like do something about it it's just that that's hard to achieve the police right. really don't want to be involved in that so they, they're pretty strict about what they determine to be a threat to yourself or others but look so so i read the article and i saw it on twitter so i read the article and i went back through and i just started like just eating, reading through the, the comments, and the comments were so fucking polarized. And, uh, you know, about how, the, how landlords are shit, and, and the, the, you know, basically casting the landlord as the person who took this woman's life. And to me, the title of the article would imply that, but none of the circumstances would lead me to believe that the landlord should have anything to do with her death. That she, she was there for three years, so effectively, she had three years to get her shit together. And, and, and then also, she was evicted four years ago. So then she had the following four years to make what she could have of her situation. Well, let's be fair here. That, like, once you no longer have a place to live, if you weren't able to get your shit together with free rent and a place to live, 
what are the chances that you're going to get your shit together with no rent and no place to live? Fair enough. And this is a woman who supposedly ran a travel agency uh, until it went out of business. So it sounds to me like maybe she went through some rough times, but but she also didn't. She, I'm guessing she never worked after the travel agency went out of business. So and I don't I don't want to you know I don't want to be casting her out as just a, a terrible helpless person, but but I don't feel that she did so so much to for her own cause. Well, I, with people with the comments, people blaming the uh, the landlord and everything. Like you can, I think you can still argue that the landlord is indirectly to blame here. That the landlord shares a small amount of the blame. But what, like, like what I said to you guys by text earlier today, is that we aren't getting all the facts in the article, and there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Like, why wasn't she paying rent? What was the reason there? Why was she refusing help? What were the conversations with her family? Like there were more than the conversations with their family that were mentioned in the article. There just had to have been. What what happened in those conversations? And like so, there are so many other opportunities to have things yeah. turned around for her that were either missed by other people or dismissed by her. And so, all right, you've got like I look at it as like you can say that the landlord's the one who pulled the trigger. But there's a lot of other people that put her in front of the gun. Yeah, fair enough. But but yeah, but I also you know I don't think any one person can be blamed. Uh, no. But I want to share with you another controversial post that I saw today, and then I'll you know I'll read through some of the comments just so you have an idea of how polarizing these things are. So um, apparently in a Bronx uh, police precinct, there were 12 arrests uh, this week after uh, there were a lot of complaints because of shoplifters in like Rite Aid and stores like that. So there were 23 warrants and they recovered $1,800 worth of stuff. Now the stuff is mostly cosmetic products. So nail polish, uh, soap, deodorant, tampons, things like that. So probably mostly makeup because that stuff's relatively high dollar and also something that's easy to like palm. So, but uh, well, it's, it's, it's a lot more like hygiene products and and detergents and then a lot of this stuff if you walk down the street in new york city is resold on the street so these guys can make some money oftentimes to buy drugs but not always sometimes because they need the money so let me just kick off the comments so far there's a hundred comments and i think this is posted uh like today or yesterday so first comment horrific yes uh stores have to continually be knocked off by people who can't afford to follow the law and then the comment after that the corrupt criminal cops are being hailed for this. Look at what was stolen. People are desperate. Stores have insurance. Now step off. And the person that... The so, one, stores don't have insurance for this. Yeah, and they're not going to file an insurance claim for a 74-cent chapstick or something, right? Yeah, it's, like, they would have insurance if their inventory was wiped out completely. Like, if there's a fire or something. But when it comes to what's called shrink... There's not really insurance for that. Exactly. Uh, so uh, the original commenter said, yes, people are desperate. Uh, let's allow people to steal. There are avenues and programs for this, not stealing from stores. Uh, you know, I'm desperate uh, for a Tahoe, but I'm not going to drive to the Chevy dealership and take it. Uh, Tahoe's not a necess- uh, necessity. Your false equivalency is pathetic. Uh, I'm not defending theft, but I'm not in, de- in denial of reality. Check your privilege. So now the person who posted this is saying the person who's commenting is privileged. Uh, and the guy goes, well, I have the privilege of working two jobs to be a sustainable member of society. I forgot that my paycheck comes with working and earning it. And then the guy says, the guy posted, I'm sorry I have to work two jobs. No one should have to do that in the richest country uh, on earth. And then somebody else says, hey, the right aid near me closed because of constant shoplifting. Now my elderly friend has to walk uh, very far for her, her prescriptions. Um, so let's see. I just want to give you another uh, stream of comments here. Uh, and then here's another one. So uh, the guy who posted its name is Brandon. So Dan comments, I'm willing to bet all of them had the newest iPhone and best Nikes. Uh, so there's then, some racism there. And then Brandon says, well, I don't necessarily know that it's, it's racism. Because if you look at the people that are homeless and stealing from these stores, it's not a black or white or Hispanic. A lot of them are white. You know, it's it's... I, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it that it could it could have some racial implicit there. Um, but 
you know, from just what I see on the streets, race is not an issue in homelessness that I see. Uh, so then Brandon says, I'm willing to that you're teetering on saying something racist. And then Dan says, what does iPhones and sneakers have to do with race? Now you're playing the politician and reporter and twisting things. Um, and then and the Brandon says, now I know just sanctimonious classism when I see it. And this goes on for another, yeah. another 50 or 60 comments here. And it's just back and forth battling each other. And I'm guessing these two people are friends on Facebook, which is, which is why I really, like, we're battling our fucking friends on our opinions about these things. And there's nothing constructive. No store should have to shut down because of shoplifting. And well, obviously nobody should have to shoplift. But the answer isn't one side or the other side. We're just bashing each other's fucking heads like a ram. No, and, and if you want to look at this issue, like I would take a step back and say that there's a lot of issues going on right now. And like the arguments that you're seeing here are people selectively selectively isolating something to, to make their point. But when you put all the issues combined together, it's really complicated. And you have to say, what's the reason that like people are stealing certain things from stores what's driving them to do that and also, is there it's not supposed to arrest people for stealing two dollars worth of worth of right and so then there's also the in, like there's the enforcement part of it of like have we disincentivized police from enforcing laws and and basically said it's okay to steal up to this much there in and what is the amount that it, that it's okay to steal for because right that, but, that guy's arguing what these people needed and then when is it okay to steal? Because he's implying that at sometimes it's okay to steal. Right. And so you end up with a really complicated issue that doesn't have a good answer. But being able to, like, you're not going to be, in 140 characters, you can't touch on all the factors that are at play. Which is why okay. I hate social media. <laughs> and just... on, that, on the topic of social media, we got nine minutes left and we got 12 bad first date tweets. Let's That's... finish on a high note. That's where I am right now because I need a little bit of levity. Um, this this shit was driving me nuts. So, uh, okay, this opened on the, the wrong screen here. Uh, he he uh, he took me to the restaurant and went to the bathroom a lot and stepped out often to take calls. I thought it was weird, and then the waiter said, "You know, he's at another table with the blonde woman. He had two first dates going on at once." Hmm, that's efficient. <laughs> All right, next one. Man values his time. The guy accidentally, and this is pretty common, I feel like, the guy accidentally texted his mate, texted me instead of his mate about how the date was going. He said he regretted asking me out. We both checked our phones at the same time, and there was an awkward silence for the rest of the ride. <laughs> that's, oh man, that's bad. Um, he asked if my sister was single. Um, and I, <laughs> You know what? That's great. <laughs> like, because if, if you're going to torpedo a date, at least do it in a funny way. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, my first date, and at the time we went to a sushi place, I, just ordered, I decided to order 13 rolls. I thought rolls meant individual pieces of sushi. Let's just say I was very embarrassed, and we had to push two tables together just to fit all the sushi. That's something a simple question could, could answer. Well, not if you didn't think there was a question. You just made that assumption. Um, but either way, uh, I met a girl for a blind date once. She didn't say a single... This is, I think, maybe my favorite. I almost said this to you earlier, which is where I... I, <laughs> I met a girl for a blind date once. She didn't say a single word throughout dinner. Finished her meal and walked out. I then checked my phone, and there was a message from the girl saying she couldn't make it tonight. Who the hell did I just eat with? <laughs> I'm trying yeah. to think about what happened there. Well, he must have saw somebody and then introduced himself and sat down at the table, and she was just so caught off guard. She just sat there while this guy ordered his own food. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know why she wouldn't say something, though. Like, uh, well, but pe because people are weird, and some dude, like, random they, dude just sat down at your table. Because I've gone to restaurants by myself, and I've eaten by myself. And if someone starts talking to me, or someone sits down, like usually if I'm at a restaurant by myself, I'll eat at the bar. But if I were at a table and someone sat down at my table, I'd be like, excuse me, do I know you? 
I would I would have questions, and that would give That's them an you. opportunity to be like, I'm supposed to be here on a date. Are you Are you Fred? No. That's you, my friend. Not everybody reacts like that. Uh, I, guess, I don't fight. know. I guess I'm just willing to throw myself out there for definition. Um, from Catherine, I went on a fan. I went to a fancy restaurant thinking I was looking quite cute. When I introduced myself at the bar, my date said, I thought you'd be thinner. I grabbed his drink, poured it in his lap, and said, I thought you'd be smarter. I left and ate pizza that night. Well, <laughs> yeah. well uh, the, the ending of that is uh, reinforcing the beginning. In college, a friend set me up on a blind day. I wasn't in a great mood because I received a traffic ticket a few hours before. My day got worse when my blind date arrived and turned out to be the cop who had given me the ticket. You see, I, that actually could, that's, that shouldn't end a date. That should be like, a funny well, <laughs> yeah, like you could, it, one of the two of them can play that off well. I met a guy from Tinder, and we ended the night at his ex-wife's house, where I drunkenly helped her pick out a wedding dress for her upcoming marriage to someone else. That's very strange. No, that sounds awesome. <laughs> like, uh, first date in high school, we were out at dinner, and I kept feeling something funny in my sweater. Uh, my date commented on my fidgeting, and I was completely shocked as I reached up my sleeve to, pair out a, to pull out a pair of my mom's underwear. I now do my own laundry. Yeah, lesson learned. <laughs> That's bad. Uh, well, yes, I have, and didn't, and didn't even know it was a date. Uh, so this is replying to bad dates. The plan was to go to a Vikings game. I thought it was with more people, but apparently not. So with paint on my face and a Vikings jersey, he sends me the location, and I walk into a five-star candlelit restaurant, and he's formally dressed. <laughs> well, yeah, that's just lack of communication. On the, uh, the mom's underwear and her sleeve thing, that makes me think of a story from college. Um, I was dating a girl, and the, at the time, I was in the dorm room, and I was in the top bunk. And so... She spent the night one night and then, like, left the next day. I didn't think anything of it. About three or four days later, uh, my roommate who slept in the bottom bunk throws a pair of girls' underwear onto my bed and says, Are these yours? And I say, No, but they might be my girlfriend's. And he says, They must have fallen down from your bed onto, like, my bed. And then when I was doing laundry, I scooped them up. Let me tell you about the conversation that my girlfriend had with me about these being in my laundry. Um, uh, oh, his girlfriend had Yeah, his girlfriend had some questions for him. I thought you were going to say you went to give them back to your girlfriend, and she's like, nope, they're not mine. Whose are they? No, no. It was the conversation that he had with his girlfriend of her saying, whose underwear are these? Yeah, not, not good. Um, my date let me out of the car while he tried to parallel park. After several failed attempts... He drove off. <laughs> uh, I feel bad for the guy. He, I assume he must have been very embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but like, now you're just like stranded on the side of the road somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I assume it must have been in town. I don't know. Uh, I got invited to a girl's house uh, for a home cooked meal, which is a podcast we did. A, a, you know, we did a topic on that. The recipe called for two cloves of garlic. She used two heads of garlic, and I had to sweat out garlic for the next month. Um, I like her style. <laughs> garlic, I've, I've never had a recipe where I've put garlic in. I said, I think I overdid it on the garlic this time. Garlic's one of the best ingredients. I want to date this chick. <laughs> uh, she married the, the guy who posted the tweet, actually. Oh, uh, well. That was excellent. Uh, I was really into this guy, but I was so nervous. Our first conversation went like this. He said, you smell good. I said, thanks. I use both my nostrils. That's funny. That was funny. Yeah, I don't think he, he got it by the looks of this. Uh, I once took a girl to a local pizza place for a first date. She proceeded to cover her slice of pizza with garlic powder and looked at me and says, this is just in case you were planning on kissing me later. Um, all right, I got, I got three See, more. If, you know what? If you deliver that as a joke, like it comes off well. It's all about the tone. Because, like, yeah, if you're on a date, be like, yeah, this is just in case you're trying to kiss me later. 
Uh, I, I only got time for one more because we get we get 30 seconds left. Went to the wrong house and an elderly couple may be coming and watch TV with them while I search for a phone book so I could call her to, to get the correct address. This is obviously pre-cell phone era. <laughs> um, pre-cell phone era, yeah, finding directions was tough. But on that note, we uh, do it, we're out of time. So uh, I guess I'll have to wrap up the, the last two tweets next episode. And uh, I want to thank Rosh Galeb for feeding us everyone's comments and John Brandiz's address while we are live. Uh, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, James. And I will see you guys next time. Cheers, guys. Adios. All right. This is the other end. Thank you for joining throughout this entire podcast. It's nice to have you here. If you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, which if you made it this far, you owe me that. And uh, don't forget to interact any other way. Comment, subscribe, share, uh, like the podcast. It all helps us, and uh, I appreciate that. And, uh, of course, you can check out some of the other videos in the podcast, Sip Talk series. So uh, enjoy those, too. See you guys next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.